Thank you for joining us. Remember, you can watch our services live and view our archive at StevensCreekChurch.com, the Stevens Creek app, or on our Roku channel. And if our ministries have touched your life, we'd love to hear about it. Send us an email to mystory at StevensCreekChurch.com. We hope today's message encourages and inspires you. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning and welcome to Stevens Creek Church. We're so glad that you're here today. I'd like to welcome all those in our Grovetown campus. I'd like to welcome those in our South campus, those watching online. And let me say to those watching online, I want to encourage you to come, come visit us uh, at one of our campuses. I'm telling you, if you'll come, you'll meet some of the finest people of, uh, in all of Augusta, Georgia. I know that for sure. You know, I'd like to start with something funny. Did you hear about the manager that was hired to come and clean house at the company? In other words, it was his job uh, to get rid of all the dead weight. And that was a, um, a stressful kind of job. And when he had his last meeting and everything was right side, he walked into his office and there's this young guy leaning over his desk. He said, what do you want? He said, I'm here to collect my money. He said, well, what do you make a week? He said, about $250. He said, well, what if I give you a month's wages? If you promise me, you'll never step foot in this place again. He said, well, okay. As he's writing a check, he walks out the door. The remaining staff just busted out laughing, and the the boss said, well, what's going on? He said, well, we're just trying to figure out why you gave the pizza delivery man a $1,000 tip. (laughs) Today, we're concluding our series called Made for Mondays, and this series uh, has really been focused on God's objective at your work. Now, it is common for all of us to thank God it's Friday and to dread going to work on Monday. But this series has been about trying to turn that around to get you from enduring work to enjoying work. And so where you can come to the place where I said, you know what? I was made for Monday. I was made for Monday. You know, Monday's a big deal. Monday's a big deal on the workplace, but do you know more people resign on Mondays than any other day of the week? As a result of that, there are more job applications submitted on Mondays than any other day of the week. So Monday is a big day, and we want to get you ready for Monday. Earlier this year, 2023, uh, CNBC did a report and said 61% of Americans Um, are considering leaving their job. Imagine that. 61% of Americans are considering leaving their job. Now, if that is you, I simply want you to slow down just a minute. Just slow down. Don't be rash. Don't be impulsive. Don't be reactive. Don't allow temporary problems to lead you into a permanent situation. So just take a deep breath. But if you are considering quitting your job, I want you to ask yourself four questions. If you're considering quitting your job, I want you to ask yourself four questions. First of all, what specifically is frustrating me? What specifically is frustrating me? I mean, if you don't know what the problem is that you're trying to solve, you'll likely have that same problems wherever you go. So figure that out. What, what's frustrating you? Secondly, ask yourself this. Is this problem solvable? 
Is this problem solvable? You're going to have problems wherever you go. Sometimes it is easier to fight the devil you know than the devil you don't know. And so is this problem solvable? The third question I want you to ask yourself is this. Are you the reason that you are unhappy at work? Are you the reason? Are you the reason you're unhappy at work? I mean, if you're not in a good place, I want, I want you to come back next week. I want you to get in church. I want you to get in the Word. I want you to spend time in prayer. I want you to see a counselor. I want you to be healed. I want you to uh, feel joy in your heart. I want you to get past this addiction that you're struggling with. I want you to truly find freedom from those emotional issues you're struggling with. The grass is not greener somewhere else. And so just understand that if you're not happy in this job, it may be because you're not a happy person. And I I want you to work through that. And I want you to come to the place where you can find joy. Here's the fourth and final question. If you're considering quitting your job, ask yourself, am I running from something or stepping into something? Am I running from something? You know, you got to figure out, uh, is there something that you're scared of? Or maybe you're taking a step going to something better. Maybe it's a brighter day. Maybe uh, that you have this chance to grow and mature and to take on more responsibility. Maybe it's a time to, to sharpen your skills and to step into a new season in your life. So ask yourself, now, am I running from something or am I stepping into my future and stepping into my destiny and stepping into the person that I've been created to be? So ask yourself those four questions. But most of all, when you leave a place, I want you to leave well. I want you to leave well because how you leave really matters. I mean, talk to Pastor Dave. We've hired, I've hired him three different times. <laughs> Comes on staff, he leaves, I hire him back. Three different times. Pastor Will, he's been here twice. It is important that you leave well because the door may be open when the opportunity may come back. And so just consider that. Here's the big idea for the series. Your job is important to God, and it is a part of his plan for your life. Your job is important to God, and it is a part of His plan for your life. This series has been built on the foundation of Colossians chapter 3 and verse 23. It says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Over the next few minutes, I just want to talk to you about, you know, when you want to quit. I want to talk to you about when your boss is the source of your struggle. When your boss is the source of your struggle. Bill Hybels years ago said that when the leader gets better, everybody wins. And that's true. A great boss can make any job a blessing. But it also can be said that when a leader is lousy, everybody loses. And we all know that to be true too. For many of you, the greatest frustration of your life is the person that you work for. And you're stuck into this, and it's like 
oil and water. It's like sandpaper. It's, it's a tough, tough place to be. But I need you to understand there are no perfect leaders. There are no perfect people here. And we've got to remember that so that we will have reasonable expectations when it comes to management. We've got to be reasonable. If, if we're not reasonable, then you're going to find yourself going from job to job to job, always looking for that perfect scenario, and it's not going to be there because there's no situation that is perfect. We all know this, that, yeah, bad bosses exist. But what you may not realize is that toxic leaders are common in the Scriptures. Yes, the Bible has a lot to say in uh, giving us examples of toxic leadership. In fact, today we're going to open up the words of the Bible and we're going to look at Genesis chapter 29. And this is the story of Jacob. Now, Jacob is the son of Isaac and the grandson of Abraham. Okay, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. His story is told really in, in Genesis 29, 30, 31, and so forth, right in this section of the Old Testament. Um, he had some conflict with his brother Esau, so his parents sent him off to learn a trade and to live with his uncle Laban. And his uncle Laban was a rancher. So now we focus on Genesis 29, verse 13. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, Laban hurried to meet him. He embraced him and kissed him and brought him into his home. And there Jacob told him all these things. Verse 14. Then Laban said, you're my flesh and blood. Then a period of time left. After Jacob had stayed with him for a whole month, Laban said to him, just because you're a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. Tell me what you want to make. How much money do you think your job is worth? So Jacob, at this point in his life, he is thrilled. He's thrilled to work for Laban, and early on, he starts to shine as an employee. He does so well that people take notice. And they start to say, you know, Laban is successful because that young man he's got working for him. You know, that young man, Jacob, that's why he's so successful. Um, and so we know this, that every bad job started out to be a good job. Every bad job started out to be a job, good job. In the beginning, that employee is embraced. Oh, it's wonderful. We're so glad to have Jacob on, to, on the team. That employer is, is esteemed. Oh, Laban's the best person that he would even bring. You know, all of that's going on. But this situation is no different. Jacob's success caused some jealousy to come up in the sons of Laban who work in the business. It's a family business and all of a sudden, uh, when uh, Jacob starts having success, there's some jealousy there, and they start to gossip. In verse chapter 31, Jacob heard that Laban's sons were saying, oh, Jacob has taken everything our father owned and has gained all this wealth from what belonged to our father. And Jacob noticed that Laban's attitude toward him had not been what it was, had been. What started out as this perfect marriage, this perfect union, this perfect job, rac rapidly declined into a toxic work environment. 
If you were to hire a business consultant, a business consultant will tell you that toxic leaders um, have three characteristics. They're deceptive, they're manipulative, and they intimidate people. And that's exactly what we see here with Uncle Laban, okay? So there's three signs from this of a bad boss. Three signs of a bad boss. The first one is deception. Now, in this culture, long-term employees often married into the family. This is so with Jacob. Jacob was working there, and Jacob fell in love with one of Laban's daughters named Rachel. And one day, uh, Jacob approached Laban and said, I have fallen in love with your youngest daughter, Rachel. Laban realized, oh, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. Here's what we'll do. We're going to work this thing out. He said, why don't you work for me for the next seven years, and then I will let you marry my daughter. Verse 20 said, so Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Now, in those days, weddings were much different culturally than they are today. There's a lot of symbolism that takes place uh, in their weddings. It included one tradition that the, the bride would wear a thick veil over her head. In fact, the groom would not even see her face until the night was over. So imagine this. The wedding takes place. Everybody's there, a lot of symbolism, a lot of things going on. Then the reception, man, it's a wild party, and they have this wonderful reception. Everybody's doing the cha-cha slide. They're having a great time. And now it's time for Jacob to see his new bride. He lifts up the veil. Instead of seeing Rachel there, he sees her older sister, Leah. Laban has deceived Jacob and caused him to marry his oldest daughter. He later admitted that the reason he did that was because Leah was so unattractive, he didn't think anybody else would marry her. Now, when the Bible says you're ugly, you must be... (laughs) U-G-L-Y, you ain't got no alibi. Ugly. I tell you, they're ugly. (laughs) So apparently she was ugly. (laughs) Now, Jacob was heartbroken. He goes to Laban and said, what's up? Why? And um, he said, well, I'll work with you here. Here's what I'll do. I'll give you Rachel, but you've got to wait another seven years. You've got to work another seven years, not wait, but you've got to work another seven years. And Jacob reluctantly agreed to do so. Now, some of you may feel like you've been in a similar situation at your workplace. They told you, oh, this is going to be a great position for you. Oh, it's wonderful. But after a few months, you lifted up the veil and you saw that is not anything good about it. Nothing like what you were promised. They said, oh, you're going to be working for the best team. I'm telling you, this is the greatest team. And then after some time, you lifted up the veil and you see it is the most toxic group of people that you've ever worked for. 
And you, like Jacob, you're working there, but yet down deep inside, you feel like you've been deceived. It's not what they promised. But you need a job. And so you press through. You press through and you press on. At this point, Jacob is so frustrated that he considered leaving. And this is when when Laban goes from being deceptive to being manipulative. So there's three signs of a bad boss, deception and then manipulation. Laban starts to play mind games. He gives Jacob a massive raise to calm him down. Laban tries to fix it with money. Tries to fix it with money, and it works for a little bit. Sometime passes, and, and, and Jacob settles back in. But then Laban makes a power move and cuts his wages. So when he needs a favor, he gives him a raise. But when he wants to show his power, he cuts his pay or he cuts his hours. The Bible says 10 different times Laban changed Jacob's wages to why? To maintain, to maintain control. Maybe this has happened to you before. The people are jerking you around and, and dangling money here and there and bonuses here and there, and you come to a place that it makes you feel like a pawn, that you've trusted these people, you've worked hard for these people, that you've been a team player all along, only to discover that you've been used for their own benefit. Now, this all comes to a head when Jacob and his family decide to, to leave the ranch. And Laban stopped him. It was like Laban slammed the door, raised his voice, and threatened Jacob's well-being. Laban tries to intimidate Jacob. Three signs of a bad boss, deception, manipulation, and intimidation. Some of you know how it feels. You've heard doors slam. You've heard doors slam, and you've heard bosses raise their voice at you and curse at you and threaten you. When manipulation Deception and intimidation come into your workplace. It infects the entire team. But it does more than that. It affects your heart. Oftentimes, you lose energy. You get discouraged. You may even get depressed. And I believe that Jacob probably felt all of those emotions. Jacob, as you remember, was raised in a a household of faith. I mean... His dad was Isaac. His granddad was Abraham. He, he had seen God do supernatural things in his family. And I would imagine during these stressful times, he's, pray, he's praying, Oh, God, would you deliver me? Oh, God, would you help me? I think all of us would be doing that. And Jacob expected the same God to do a miracle for him that had done a miracle for his dad and a miracle for his grandfather. But what's interesting is that God chose a different path. God chose to sustain Jacob instead of delivering Jacob. Listen, I know that you want God to release plagues on your boss like he did Pharaoh. Okay? I know that you want 
God to take out your boss like he did Goliath. But maybe the miracle simply is this, that you make it through the week. Maybe that's the miracle, that you make it through the week. Maybe that the miracle is that you make it through this difficult season. Often the miracle is that you look like Jesus when you feel like being Judas. After being mistreated, do you know what Jacob did? He went to work. He went to work on Monday. Nothing notable happened. There is no miracle. There is no supernatural display. There is no voice from heaven. Instead, Jacob simply went back to work. He stayed there day after day. And then one day, God decided that his purpose was complete and he released Jacob. And because of Jacob's obedience, God blessed him. Now, why did God allow this? Because God was developing Jacob as a leader. Jacob would eventually have 12 sons, and those 12 sons would be the leaders of the 12 tribes of Israel. Do you know what God's best tool for creating good leaders is? He places them under bad leaders. I mean, just ask Moses about Pharaoh. Just ask David about Saul. Just ask Jesus about the Pharisees. When God wants to increase your capacity, he often uses toxic leaders to do so because adversity increases your capacity. Adversity increases your capacity. This past week, I was reading an article about codfish, and it happened to be from the Baptist press. Who knows? Um, but it was about the codfish expansion of that, that market uh, in the Northeast. People really loved it, and so they wanted to take codfish nationwide. And so what they did is they had a major problem with the distribution of the codfish. At first, they froze the fish, and they shipped it across uh, the country, and when uh, they would thaw out the fish, it would lose its taste. They thought, okay, we've got to do something different. It's not, it doesn't taste the same as it does in the Northeast. And so the second thing, they got these big tanks, and they filled it with seawater, and they would put the codfish in the seawater. But as they traveled across the country, they would just become docile. They were not very active and so forth. And when they got to their place of destination, and uh, they found that their texture had changed. They were mushy, and they were uh, slimy, and, and it just wasn't good. Until one day, somebody said, well, why don't you put some catfish in that tank with the codfish? What? Yeah, put catfish because catfish are natural enemies to codfish. So when they put catfish in the tank, therefore the codfish had to stay alert. They had to stay on top of it. They uh, They were active. And all across uh, uh, the roads as they were traveling, they were active and alert. And when they got to their place of destination, they were as fresh as they were when they were caught in the Northeast. Listen, maybe you don't have a bad boss. You just have a catfish. 
God allows adversity in your life so that you can keep your faith fresh, alert. You keep moving and and growing. The difficult person in your life could be God's way of turning you into a great leader. I hate to tell you that tomorrow, most likely when you return to work, your boss is going to be the same. You're going to probably have the same boss tomorrow as you did Friday when you left work. Could it be, though, that God is using that jerk? That God is using that jerk to strengthen you, to enlarge you, and to prepare you for your future. God has a plan for you. And if you'll stay faithful, if you'll be patient, there will be a moment that God releases you. And when you leave, you will be a better person because of it. In the meantime, ask God to give you grace for the struggle. Ask God to give, help you to get through the week. So what do you do as you wait for God to release you? You're in this waiting period now, and you're just waiting for God to release you. Here's the first thing. I want you to submit to the authority figures that God has already set in place. Submit to the authority figures that God has already set in place. Now, the word submit means to willingly place oneself under the authority or the direction of another person, even in difficult or unjust situations. Now, let's talk about submission. Now, oftentimes, it's good to know what a word is not so that you can understand what a word really means. Submission does not mean that you are a doormat. Hear that. Submission does not mean you're a doormat or you forego any type of protective boundaries. You need to protect yourself. You need to guard your heart. You need to protect your emotions. You need to protect yourself. Submission does not mean that you're giving the leader a blank check so that they can force you to do unlawful or ungodly things. That's not what submission means. Submission, in this case, is a military word implying that there's a higher command that's been assigned to all the troops. Submission means that you're placing God as the the authority. One person that did that in the scriptures is Peter, the apostle Peter. He put God as the authority. In fact, he writes these words. He said, you who are slaves must submit to your masters with all respect. I mean, do what they tell you, not only if they're kind and reasonable, even if they're cruel. For God is pleased when conscious of his will, you patiently endure unjust treatment. Now, we often read that word, you who are slaves, and, well, that's not relating to us because we don't have slavery in America these days. That was years ago. But I think you could really reshape that verse to say this as it speaks to us in our work. Verse 18, you who are employees must submit to your employers with all respect. Submission is when you surrender to God and you say, God, you are my boss. It is, uh, there's a difference. Submission deals with our attitude. Compliance deals with our actions. So we need to follow that. And it's interesting. You say, well, how does Peter even know anything about that? 
You've got to understand who Peter was submitting to. Nero was the king uh, of Rome back in those days. And history records that Nero married at 16 years old. The next year, he killed his stepbrother. A few years later, when he was 22, he killed his wife, his first wife. And then he married again and killed that wife. In order to marry a third time, he forced the woman's husband to commit suicide so he could marry the wife. His mama got so upset with him that he murdered his mother. And then just for um, sheer joy, he would throw Christians to the lions. And then he burned Rome. So this is the man that Peter is writing about in verse 17 of chapter 2. Respect everyone and love the family of believers. Fear God and respect the king. Notice those words, fear God. He's saying the most important thing is we have a fear of the Lord. We, we have this reverence. Because if we have a fear of the highest authority, then we will, uh, it will, we'll find it easier to submit to lower authorities. You can submit to lesser authorities when you trust God as the ultimate authority. You fear the Lord, you respect the king. Fear the Lord, respect the king. Now, I want to pull back the curtain on a personal story in our lives. Oftentimes, you hear me talk about the day we first met with 24 people in a borrowed living room. And I tell that story a lot because I see God's faithfulness all over the church. And then uh, it's amazing to see what has happened over these decades. But I don't talk to you a lot about the days leading up to that launch. The days leading up to those 24 people in that borrowed living room. It was a very painful and difficult season of our lives. I worked in a toxic environment with a very bad boss. And there was a volatile moment when I was fired. And let me say this. It was probably the right thing for him to do. But he did it in the wrong way. You can do the right thing. Now, I was this young buck. I was this young whippersnapper, you know, this youth pastor that thought I knew everything and then some. And, um, and I did know a lot. And that was my problem. I was arrogant. Still deal with that sometimes. And you have to watch that because what pride comes before fall, and this was a great lesson for me. But it was a, a volatile situation. It was so bad that the Augusta Chronicle wrote at least two stories about this church fight. You don't want your church in the Augusta Chronicle, okay? It's just not good for business. And it's embarrassing, and it's, you know, it, all of that. So, um, so it got out to the point where the bishop of the North Georgia Conference was brought into this, and he had to mediate this, which meant that you're going to meet together on a Saturday night, and the bishop is going to be there, I'm going to be there, the church is going to show up. And boy, if you mention a church fight, people show up. I mean, it is, I mean, they show up. They want to see, and it, it is, it's quite uh, a lot of tension in the air. And so he calls me up, and he said, this is what you're going to, the bishop is speaking to me. 
He said, you're going to read this statement that's prepared, and I think they prepared it for me, and in that statement says that I will not start a church in Augusta, Georgia. And I will say it to the audience, and I'll make that declaration to them. Now, I'm on the phone with the bishop, and I felt like at that point the Lord had spoken to me and said, I am to start a church here in this town. But the person who is spiritually over me, my bishop, says no. And not only that, you're going to tell everybody that you're not going to do that. And I had this moment there. And in that moment, I said to Dr. Fisher, I said, Dr. Fisher, I will submit to you and assign this document not because I don't feel like God has called me, but I know God has placed you as my spiritual oversight. You are my spiritual overseer, and I am surrendering to you at this point. That was one of the hardest conversations I've had, and, and sure enough, we showed up, we read that, and, um, and made, that doc, you know, made it public. Well, after that meeting, things started to unravel and got even worse And what happened was the bishop's peace plan fell completely apart. And it was was bad. And to the point where the bishop called me up and said, Marty, I'm asking you to start a church in Augusta. He said, I guess you were God's man for Augusta after all. And he became an advocate for us to the point where when we were meeting in a hotel that he gave us the property on Old Petersburg Road, the property that we were able to sell and buy this land on Stevens Creek Road. And I think about that. I am so grateful that in that moment, my heart, I submitted my heart to God's authority in my life because a lack of submission in that very moment could have caused me to miss the most significant uh, door of opportunity in my life. And I'm just thankful that I was able to make the right choice and the right, right call to submit, even when I didn't understand it and even when I didn't like it, but I trusted that God was working out the details. Don't let a bad boss keep you out of your promised land. Don't let a bad boss or a bad employee keep you from being the person that God has called you to be because God is the one that will promote you. God is the one that will raise you up. It is not that boss's um, ultimate responsibility to lift you up. God will cause you to rise above all the junk, and he will bless you for it trust him in that. I said, there are three things to do when you work for a bad boss. Here's the second one. I want you to refuse to be disrespectful when others fail to acknowledge your value. Refuse to be disrespectful. Let me say this. I didn't follow along with this. I was disrespectful. There are times when I just, it didn't matter. I I just love to take that conversation to a negative place. It's not going to produce good fruit. You've got to put a guard over your mouth. You've got to watch what you say. You've got to say, I'm not going to disrespect them even when they disrespect you. So submission issues can lead to respect issues. 
especially when you work for a less than leader. The temptation to disrespect is off the charts. And you can disrespect in a lot of different ways. You can do it with your words. You can do it by being lazy, by being bitter, by trying to get even. I mean, Peter said this, don't repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil then with blessing. Because of this, you are called, um, and in doing so, you will inherit a blessing. So Peter is referring to the concept of honor here. Honor is when I treat you like God would treat you despite how you've treated me. That you treat me bad, but I'm going to treat you like God would treat you. I'm going to honor you. Scripture teaches there are three things that we can honor. We can honor the person, we can honor the position, or we can honor the vision. And there are times that maybe you can't honor the person, but you start to respect that position. Or maybe you can't respect that position, but you respect the vision. And you start to understand it, and that's the way you honor. You know how you honor people? Be simple. Be nice to them. I mean, nothing opens doors like saying please. Nothing mends fences like saying, I am so sorry. Nothing builds bridges like saying thanks. You start to look for good things in the relationship. Compliment their strengths. God's not going to bless you when you're cursing them. God's not going to bless you when you're cursing them. Michael Armstrong, the former chairman of AT&T, he said this uh, illustration about the ancient Romans. He said the ancient Romans had a tradition that when one of their engineers constructed uh, an arch, as the capstone was being hoisted into place, the engineer assumed accountability for his work. And what he would do, he would go stand up under the arch as is being hoisted in place. If his work failed, it would fall on him. And that was the way he said, I am good for it. I am standing in my work. I am standing by the job that I did. You may not be an engineer, but I want you to stand by your work. I want you to stand by your job. Too often, we say, well, I'm, I'm underpaid, and so I'm going to cut here, and I'm going to cut there. I want you to stand by uh, your word and stand by your work because you're working for the Lord, not for human masters. I want you to put your confidence in him. Uh, recognize that your boss may determine your salary, but God determines your reward. Understand that, that, that your boss may provide you with benefits, but God holds all the blessings for you. Here's the third and final one. Three things to do when you, you work for a bad boss. I want you to view your work as a divine assignment and use your influence to make your company a better place. View your work that God has assigned you to this. God has assigned you here and, and use your influence to make your work a better place. Imagine that if you were to go out into a normal church bookstore, you know, maybe there's a table uh, and churches sell books all the time, and you see a biography on that table of that church bookstore, and it says these words, the, the person God uses. Now, you would immediately think, that that book on that church bookstore table would be about a missionary. 
It would be about maybe some minister that traveled the world and preached the gospel. Yet, this is not the book. What the book is about is the book that God wrote. It's the Bible. And when you read the Bible, you go through the pages of the Old Testament, you see Old Testament Joseph worked in the government. Tabitha was a fashion designer. John was a fisherman. Paul was a tent maker. Matthew worked for the IRS. When God wanted to change the world, his first choice was not somebody from a seminary, but people in construction and people in medicine and people in business and people in education. God wants to impact the world through you, through your workplace. He wants you to shine into the darkness. He wants you to be his voice to the community, his hands extended. God's will is for you to make an impact in your workplace, and he wants to use you. Tim Keller, who is the pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City, passed away just a few months ago. But he tells a story of meeting a young woman in the lobby of his church. And the reason he met her, he noticed that she seemed so uncomfortable. Just uncomfortable being there at the church. And he noticed her several weeks in a row until finally uh, they crossed paths long enough. Uh, for him to ask her, hey, what brought you to our church? What brought you here? And she starts telling the story that just recently she had moved to Manhattan and she had taken a job with a large company there in Manhattan. And very early in on the job, she made a, a major mistake. A major mistake that should cause her to lose her job immediately. It was such a grave mistake. And she went to her superior and told her boss, and her boss took complete responsibility for her mistake, even to the point where he went to his supervisor and said, this is what's happened. This is what I'm responsible for. And it hurt him and his influence in the company, and it held him back for her mistake. As a result, he lost reputation in the company. And she went to that boss and said, look, I've had bosses throughout my life who take credit for my work, but I have never met anybody to take blame for something that I did. And she said, why did you do that? Why are you different than all of the other bosses that I've had? And he was very modest, and he tried to deflect the question. But she was insistent, and she kept pressing in. And finally said, look, I'm a Christian. That means that God accepts me because Jesus Christ took the blame for the things that I did wrong. He did that by dying on the cross. And that is why I have this desire, and sometimes I have the ability to take the blame for other people. And that's why I took the blame for you. And she just stared at him. She stared at him for this long moment, not knowing what to say. And finally, she said, what church do you go to? And he says, I go to Redeemer Press. 
And that's why she made the decision to go to that church. God wants to use you at work. God wants to use you right where you are serving. Some of you work on a line. Some of you work for a practice. Some of you teach schools or you are a student yourself. We all have different things, but God wants to use you where he has planted you, where he has assigned you. And I want you to come to the place where you're willing to surrender to his leadership and surrender to him. And you, my friend, will impact the world and you will make a difference in someone's life. Let's stand together. In Grovetown, let's stand. South Campus, let's stand. I want to pray over you. But just so that I know who I'm praying for, I want your heads bowed and I'm going to ask you a question. How many of you are dealing with stress at work, a problem with a boss, a problem with a co-worker, that you need divine intervention? How many of you uh, need help on your job because you feel like you have been uh, placed in a position that you can't grow in? Let me see your hands and I'll pray over you, okay? All across this room. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray over these individuals that are crying out, God, help me. And I ask God that you would make a way. First of all, I ask God that you'd give them inner peace. That they would understand that you have called them, you've equipped them, and you have anointed them to do their jobs. Now, Father, give them the peace and the grace to do what you've called them to do. I pray, Father, that you would start to open doors. I pray, Father, that you would... Uh, give peace and to give them the right words to say and the right time to say those words, that they would be a peacemaker. Father, I pray that you'd give divine insight where a company's not moving ahead. God, give them inspired ideas that they would help their company do what they've been called to do. God, move that company forward. So, Lord, let your people be anointed right now. So, Father, in Jesus' name, I pray for the anointing to sweep over Stevens Creek Church. The anointing, your power, your spirit to rest on us. Now, Father, I pray not only for the people who are working and trying to move forward in their work. I pray for those that are unemployed. I pray for those that are retired. I pray, that God, that you would meet their needs and that you would supply those needs as only you can. To those people that are are under financial press, God, I ask that you would have mercy. God, open the windows of heaven. Open mercy to them. God, let uh, the needs be met in an unusual way that could only point to your grace. God, I pray not only for people at work, but I pray for people at home today. As we close this prayer, I pray for you and your household. I pray that God would rest, uh, uh, his spirit would rest on you and that he would give you peace in your home. That God would give you peace in your family. And that this would be a day that you would receive his spirit and that he would be your leader and your Lord. So we pray this together. Say, God, I receive. Say that. Say, God, I receive what you have for me. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen, and amen. Let's praise him today.
Well, this concludes our series, Made for Mondays. I hope it's been a blessing to you. I hope you have a wonderful week, and we'll see you real soon. Thanks for listening. If you would like to help support the ministries of Stevens Creek Church, please go to StevensCreekChurch.com and click the Give button. See you next time.